Welcome to Peter's Podcast, where we talk about real yoga, actual happiness, and deep living. Thanks for joining me. Hi. Hi, Wen. Hi, Peter. We got a dog with us here today. Yeah. We'll see if she settles down. See if she can be she's, mindful. She is the distraction. She's the distraction. She's Perfect the distracted, and she's the distraction. As we talk about meditation. Mm. So meditation which is often called mindfulness, is a shifting of the mind. We, we just spent a little time this morning listening to a neuroscientist talk about it, and it's always interesting to hear about the neuroscience perspective on meditation. Um, they're looking for mechanisms and for repeatability, uh, like most science stuff. And... I think that it provides an interesting perspective and it falls short in a way. Yeah. So I wanted to talk today about mindfulness and transcendence. Yeah, maybe we'll find more words for those two terms as we go along. That's that's kind of where I'm starting. Yeah. Yeah. So um like, where does mindfulness fall on the spectrum and where does transcendence fall on the spectrum? Yeah. And, you know, there are so many models that one can use for discussing this. Bruno, you want to sit? You want to sit down? Go ahead and sit down. I will in a minute. Um, <laughs> you know, there's the discussion in the Yoga Sutras, which gives <laughs> like four steps and then potentially more stages. There's... Um, you know, the fMRI kinds of studies that they do in the neuroscience world where they say, oh, look, these three parts of the brain are lighting up when you're doing meditation. This must have something to do with the default mode or something like that. Yeah. There's the Tantra Tattvas, which I find uh, personally to be one of the most useful models because it creates this notion of us as oneness, limitations that get put on to have the experience of us as we feel ourselves every day and that transitional space in between. Yeah. Um, and there's probably a million other ways to go. You could talk yeah. about the koshas and so forth. So um, we're not usually very systematic, so we could just sort of meander uh, yeah, through those things. I'm kind of in that kind of mood today, <laughs> I have to say. Um, yeah, my mind goes to, like, when when we talk about the tattvas, uh, I feel like that's probably a good place to maybe start. But I'll, um, I also really think of it, and, you know, we were having this conversation this morning after we listened to part of that podcast um, <clears throat> about how it fits into Tantra. And so, I don't know, for some reason it just feels important to me to acknowledge that that's sort of like the basic framework and that if we're talking about <clears throat> meditation we're talking about this embodied state that we're in that we have to kind of uh, get conscious of whatever that word means to you get aware of acknowledge in some way so that we can kind of come back into our core center and so you uh, just said something really, I just want to pause, put a pin in that for one second, because you said, be conscious of, like, 
that I think is one of the fundamental things about meditation because so many people say, oh, is it okay if I sleep or is yoga nidra meditation and so forth. There's an element of being conscious and coming what you were just saying and I'll let you pick it up yeah. right there. But that a consciousness of it is very useful yeah are very useful to keep in mind we're talking about consciousness right awareness yeah and to so, me that's that's kind of the range of what we would call in the contemporary meditation world mindfulness like that getting mindful means being more present with the sensory stimuli and also how we're processing it mm -hmm. and that's what allows us to come back to this place but that's not the end of the story for me that there's this coming back into, and then we get into the idea of transcendence. Like, what does that mean? Like when we come back into this <clears throat> state of consciousness where we're not actually anymore processing external stimuli, and we may even be not necessarily processing internal stimuli the way we would in, gen in a normal daily uh, active state. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think that's kind of where we have to talk about like the different types of meditation and, or the different ways of approaching meditation and where they come in. But then also, you know, the Tantra idea of, you know, where, wherever you go, there you are, we're still here embodied and kind of resourcing ourselves back to center is only half the thing then we go back out again mm -hmm. and this idea of what's the brain doing is not the end of the story mm -hmm. it's part of the story mm -hmm. so you mentioned mindfulness as like a awareness thing and let's let's talk yoga sutras for a second because i've always found it useful to think about mindfulness practice this desire to be present in the moment in a non-judgmental way. <clears throat> I've thought of that from a Yoga Sutra's perspective as being about concentration. Really, I mean, you can, you can say there's something about sensory withdrawal, but not really because so much mindfulness practice is about using your senses, like mindful eating exactly. or mindful walking. And noticing one's breath in a way that sometimes even has a story attached to it, you know. Um, so really, for me, mindfulness practice gets at using and training concentration and then the state of your being, once you do that, um, gets I mean, in the science world, they, they then measure like what, what what's up with you when you practice that r regularly. Right. right? And, Can I just speak yeah, something yeah. to concentration? Yeah. So um, it's definitely my my experience over however many years I've been meditating, but also like, you know, you hear it in a lot of the techniques that when we practice concentration there's a kind of a nuance to it which i think is like really 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 important which is 
and this kind of it helps for me to hear it from the neuroscience world that the the human mind wanders right mm -hmm. that's the default mode mm -hmm. what do you call it the default mode network the default mode network like that we have this ability which is an ability and also we pay a price for it that we can be think we can be in the past the present or the future usually not all at the same time and the mind is you know uh designed to wander and mull about and so when we talk about concentration dharana right mm -hmm. which i think a lot of people probably associate with the mindfulness like the practices <clears throat> we want to be thinking about not how do we um create the most intense focus possible and stay there in this very rigid way, but rather how do we remember to keep coming back? And you see this a lot in, in like yoga nidra practices and mindfulness practices where you're, you're learning to observe the vritti as they come and go because that's what happens with the mind. We go over here, we start going into past or future, we start going into, you know, interpreting sensations, internal or external. So it's just about this thing. And so the more that you practice refocusing, it's instead, like, I really liked this guy's thought about it, which is not, you're not training to focus. You're not training to concentrate, you're training to refocus, come back to concentration. And that when you've done it enough and you're really established in the practice, you can drop into that state really easily. And it doesn't look like much. It might even look like steady concentration. But what it really is, is just this, the, the mind like is created. If you, if you refocus quickly enough. Exactly. Yeah. And you're constantly just coming back to this present moment, which doesn't involve a lot of interpretation around what should I do next or how does this relate to what I just did it mm -hmm. just or even you know judgment values right. that we put on it right it's just a constant flow of sensory information and that's where I think that we get into you're not creating new vritti around whatever the sensory experiences are internal or external and that's when you kind of get into the effortless flow right so that's that's kind of like my description of like mindfulness into the beginning of trans of what do we call it transcendence transcendence i can't even remember the word right but Jeez. yeah and you know just to to dovetail with that to me and <clears throat> this is why i proposed this particular book with al you know he he's always talking about no oh, i want to be mindless not mindful mm -hmm. implying you want to go to this place where you're not wrapped up in all of your stories yeah um and you know that's a little bit of a simplistic way to say it but the mindfulness protocol is also very simplistic because it doesn't say much about what happens once we get where you just described yeah there's a there's a natural thing that happens when you are in the present moment exactly. in a way that is constantly pulling back 
Yeah. And it's that there's a transition that happens. You know, yeah. the, the, in Sanskrit, they would call it the parinama. Yeah. Right. That there's a transition to cessation of activity in the brain. Yeah. And the brain is a funny way to say that because so many yeah. theories would say, well, it's not the brain, there's consciousness, right? So consciousness yeah. is using this mechanism that's exactly you're seeing with our senses as objects right which is the, the that's what i was trying to talk about this morning which is that consciousness is i mean i don't know how i just don't have the language around how to say it but consciousness for me is prior to the brain the brain is made to express life yes as con consciousness as life in this manifest in this in this manifest frequency. duality frequency yeah. blah 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 yeah. but yeah and so you know it's really important to notice how, I mean, we're living in an age where so much technology helps our understanding of it. But really, to me, it's just the contemporary paradigm of how we talk about it. Because, I mean, if you really read the sutras and, and other texts, I mean, it's just so apparent that they were talking about all of the same stuff, just with different language and paradigm right right and often it's more elegant mm -hmm. well it more elegantly and completely describes the experience the fault the totality the yeah. transcendent part and yeah. the embodied yeah. part yeah. and we i think get a little hung up on i don't know for me when we definitely don't need to go here but it always gets into the religious conversation mm -hmm. do you know as soon as you go to transcendence in the in the sort of popular culture you have a lot of different religions and non and anti-religions talking about how we talk about that yeah and then getting kind of um antagonistic or yeah you know somehow whatever but, but let's 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 attack this one little piece because i think this is so key let's and, delve into it yes um, there is the notion that what we experience through our five senses is all there is. And to a large degree, the scientific method has taken that as a credo. We must be able to measure it using tools that we can perceive, and it must be repeatable and then we'll say, okay, there's something here. Right, and anything that we can't measure or prove is what? Well, I mean, I think a, a, a well-spoken scientist would say, we just don't have any data on that, so we can't say anything one way or another. Right. But as a whole, the profession tends to discount the possibility of that thing, and that's where yeah. you run into um, this ba battle between science and metaphysics, you right. might say. But I think that without getting into religion per se, yeah. there's a big space in there that you could talk about. In other words, there is a mechanism mm -hmm. by which things happen that are outside the realm of stuff we can prove in science, that many people in history have 
called spirit in some way or another. They've given it a name, they've given it a personality, they've thought it had certain qualities and so forth. Over time, some of those things turned into religions as we speak of them today, like a ritualistic way to participate in yeah. life, um, which still is not a, a negative thing. It's just simply a thing that always seems to find itself on the odds with more scientific, rational frameworks. Yeah, so, yeah. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. It's more like there are phenomena, there is the capacity that we have that is very difficult to measure and repeat given the nature of our tools right now. I think that's the most important part. That's that last piece, given the nature of our tools right now. Right. And, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, the jury, like, I, I, I often just think it's really, to me, not that important to um, call it one thing or another. Mm -hmm. But the way that I um, I don't know think of it for myself is that the tools that I have right now may not be adequate to describe what it is that I'm experiencing and so to me the nature of the experience is the important part like um, I think you know, I could say, um, you know, I've had experiences in meditation or just in, you know, contemplation that where I'm very uh, much in the present moment and experience a fullness or a bigness or a knowing about something that is almost ineffable. It's almost like not important to express it. It's a feeling in the moment and then I take it with me and it kind of expresses through whatever it is that I'm living through in the moment. Um, but if I, so uh, I don't sometimes feel like I need to scientifically prove my experience to anybody else because it's something that I it's an experience it's not a belief it's not like faith that that could happen that happened and it's just that I don't know exactly I don't want I don't need to get into a debate with people about what it meant mm -hmm. and I think that's where we sort of go a little bit off because we are we are each of us I think raised to a certain degree with some you know belief systems that may or may not be conscious and like it's each individual's job to decide what is adaptive and what might not be adaptive so uh but at the end of the day we're we we are we have uh there's no humans on the planet that are different than other humans in the most basic of ways mm -hmm. and so i'm always looking for you know, what's the experience 
like if I'm really listening to somebody and their experience around a, a yogic practice, I'm listening for what the experience was for them um, and trying to help them. I'm speaking of myself as well. Um, just kind of let go of the thoughts about the experience to just have the experience. And then, you know, from there, you know, it's however you want to describe it, mm -hmm. you can. Right. But that's, I think, like the yoga teacher's job and, um, you know, especially like leading people into an experience of meditation. It's like you can't tell them what they're going to experience. Mm -hmm. You can't lead the experience exactly for them. You can lead them into some of the preamble and into the into the mode and you can do the do the practices that get them there but at the end of the day that's really the difference it's like we're having an experience and then we're learning not to interpret it in a in a particular belief system mm -hmm. so it's hard it's you know it's it's a it's a difficult thing but well, it's it's it really depends on what is your intention, right? Like the the intention of science is to explain things, right? And the practical side of science is to repair things or fix things or provide um, methods, right? You know, that's more like engineering based on science, but yoga. I would submit has always been a practice of self-realization and self-actualization. And so for that, all one needs is one's experience. Yeah. All one needs is to feel different at the end of the day. And it was nice that you brought up teacher because what a teacher's job is typically is to help that person do that. Right, right to help them and, empower them and in whatever they're whatever they're looking for you know it's like um uh oh <laughs> runa's eating the rug um you know i have no problem with all of the things that we get from meditation as goals i really don't i think it's really important to understand what you feel like it's addressing for you mm-hmm but really, at the end of the day, all of those things are, um, to me, I mean, you know, it might sound stupid to say it, but all of the, all of those things kind of come under the rubric of issues related to uh, expression of life and, um, you know, expression in life, like, expressing yourself in the purpose of your living and of like growth or evolution letting go of the things that are maladaptive so that you can you know re reconvene with with the part of you that's that's not caught in these patterns mm -hmm. and that makes it you know that it empowers the flow of expression on your, your, right, your dharma. Right. So, like, to me, there's no, it's not about that or that. It's really about the rebalancing 
Right. And so... And you might call that, you know, wisdom or living from a place of wisdom, meaning I don't necessarily have all the knowledge there is in the world, but I know who I am and I understand something about living. And when I live in this way, I practice those things that are the ones that have that quality that you're saying and let go of the ones that are the patterns that aren't serving me so much, then it feels different. It feels what the fourth pada of the sutras say. It feels more free, like life feels more special and magical. Yeah. You know? But also like along the way, like I might come to this because I can't sleep, or I might come to this because I'm anxious, or I might come to this because I want to be more productive in my job. Right, right. And those things for me like indicate some pattern glitches along the way that are going to get addressed Mm -hmm. by the practice. But because of who we are with this wandering mind and this very complex like prefrontal cortex, we tend to think that we can think ourselves out of that box. Mm -hmm. And that's just not the case. Like, and that's kind of where this guy falls down for me. Like, to me, the prefrontal cortex is not the end of the We're talking about a podcast we listened to by uh, Dr. Huberman uh, from Stanford. Yeah. So, um, Um, sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that you know there has to be a way to uh, like allow the practice to address like whatever gets you in the door gets you in the door but it's because we're so reductive science and contemporary like allopathic medicine can be so reductive like oh you can't sleep let's give you a sleeping pill right so it's not it's addressing a symptom it's not addressing a cause but at the same time you know, I might be really hyper aware of that, like my sleep is disrupted and this might have something to do with like hormonal disruption at the pineal level at the, you know, at the level of like the global hormonal exchange and meditation might really help with that. Certain types of meditation might really help with that, but that got you in the door. Now you're meditating and now you're experiencing something that's like a different way right so that's where i feel like the yoga actually takes over that okay now we're expanding our idea of what this practice is instead of just taking this practice and reducing it to another reductive thing that could help with these five symptoms right right because once i feel like and i have a little bit of experience with this once it becomes like a protocol that you're using for the thing i mean i don't really know what i personally what happens to me is i feel like i get so focused on achieving the goal and i get bored with the protocol and if it's not working i start to feel like it's any other like weird tool that somebody gives me that's just not going to help but when I do it as a practice and I, and I start using this, the, the different types of practices a little bit more um, intuitively, although skillfully, um, a, a lot of things might adjust. Like, you know, sleep, I might sleep a little bit better. I might 
be a little bit less anxious, I might be a little bit more focused and, or, you know, I might have more blood flow to my feet or, you know what I mean? Like there just might be more, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. There might be more, like, it's a little bit more global because that's the kind of practice that it is, but it's okay. You know, it addressed sleep as well, or it didn't. Right. And I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I understand people's, uh, um, yeah, I mean, need I, to have resolution, you know? And you could say that that's just also a little bit too, what is your nature also? Like some people are very practical. They, mm -hmm. they only want to know, well, how does this help me? Other people are more philosophical. And of course yeah. they're like more interested in, oh, this is interesting. How does this relate to the universe, you know, or how does this relate to some other thing that I know about? Right. And it's all good, you but know, I one, think. Yeah, one thing about that, though, is that people I find, and this is really about me, too, because there's places where I'm really philosophical and the result isn't the issue and places where I'm like, ow, I'm in pain, I need something here. Um, like going against, working against that impulse is often in yoga, I think, the way to go. Like if you're, if you're very focused on the result and you want to fix the thing with this protocol back up from it and let the let there be a little resiliency in your approach and if you're very like oh it's just about philosophy but you're like it's kind of masking some kind of actual need that you're having to address something in yourself then you know hone in and get more focused on a practice that's targeted to that for a period of time like that's that also just seems to me to be the antidote right to those two things well that is you know? the you know the 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 three parts of the kriya yoga the tapas is yeah. that to wait a minute get a little disciplined or ishara pranidhana like let go a little more yeah um it's one way to say that, but also Dr. Huberman said the very same thing. He said, you know, if you tend to be more yeah. interoceptive, yeah. maybe work a little bit more, getting a little more yeah. external. And if you're more exteroceptive, yeah. maybe work a little more at getting internal. And that effort will help you become more resilient in general. Exactly. So we, I think the science and the metaphysics here, I think we're on, we, we are on both sides and rah rah yeah but the the uh, maybe just wrapping up the the notion that meditation has many many potential uh ways of doing it and also many results one of the ones that is key in yoga and i'm thinking that more and more it's going to be made more evident through the science world too as science sees more benefits, mm -hmm. you know, figures out ways to measure more benefits, is that it's a part of being human yeah. to want to allow your in intelligence and your intuition to get to this place that is bigger than you. Yeah. And it's built into us, and more and more we're going to see that evolving. I mean, yeah. that is one of the beauties to me of 
getting to train so many people as we do to take on this really rich kind of yoga practice and to hear them talk about how important it is. Yeah. You know, it's like an exponential kind of a growing of awareness. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think it's, it's kind of, um, for me, it's really important to just remember to stay clear on how yoga, how yoga works, that it can, that it can take in all of these scientific concepts and be really indebted to that language around it and yet also uh, describe something that is um, not prefrontal cortex driven Right, that by using our ability to uh, shift our perception, to shift our awareness from this to that, and to let it, to notice when it's narrowing, to notice when it's expanding, that we can get more skillful or more um, intentional about how we live, not just about how good we are at meditation, and to and yeah, to see. I have seen personally uh, the incredible growth that people experience from just learning how to do that in in a short training, right? That it's it's really empowering just to notice that I don't have to just be in this one little loop that I'm in, that just expanding and refocusing and expanding and refocusing through whatever techniques we're using and getting to that place where we're, you know, a little bit, you know, for me, it's like dharana, dhyana, samadhi, like that little continuum is the everything. As soon as it gets to effortless concentration, we're in and some changes are going to happen. And as long as we understand that that's the that whatever we got in that moment of letting go from the focus to the letting go and back to refocusing is extraordinarily potent and that, you know, it creates changes, real ones. And sometimes along the lines of what we were hoping for, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. sometimes other changes. That... And if we're open, it's exactly what we're hoping for. <laughs> yeah. Om Tat Sat. Om Tat Sat. All right. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks. Namaste.